Hi, I'm Sarah Aviva, and you may have seen me on episodes and TV shows such as Lucifer, iZombie, Supernatural, Unreal, Ice, Aftermath, dot, dot, dot. You can see it all on IMDb. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to another episode of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is not in the dome but about to discuss the dome. So I'm your host Craig and this episode is all about the most recent DC extravaganza event thing, DC Fan Dome. And joining me here, I've got Isaac to help me chat Hello. about it. And Chris, also to help chat about it. Hello, I am so honoured to be here. It is so great to be sharing this with you, the fans. It's so nice to be invited. It's so wonderful that we're here. You're great. Isaac's great. Everyone's great. This is awesome. So fantastic to be here. Good. I like the enthusiasm. So, before we get started, we'll go to our classic segment here, not in the dome. We're going to do Kneel Before and Rise Against. So, Isaac, why don't you start us with your Kneel Before? So I'm going to kneel before uh, the return of Christopher Eccleston's Doctor Who. Obviously, you may know Christopher Eccleston, obviously the ninth Doctor. He only got one series. And in his autobiography last year, it, it turned out that he was actually quite unwell. He suffered from depression. He was suffering from, uh, like anorexia during the time. It was quite a horrible time for him. So obviously, he got you know, he did one series. He kind of didn't get much of his Doctor. But apparently, after his autobiography, he's had lots of support and nice things said to him and he's, he kind of turned his mind on it and is coming back for 12-hour audio adventures after 15 years of not being in Doctor Doctor Who specifically got a big finish, but also their lockdown stuff has been knocking 2020 out of the park. I think they just announced, they just released today, uh, David Tennant, Tom Baker, audio team book that was recorded over lockdown as well. And Rusty Davis and Stephen Moffat have been writing short stories and putting them out on Twitter and stuff. And... Jodie Whittaker has been recording stuff in her costume for, for kids to sort of tell them, like, oh, here's how to, you know, stay inside and stay healthy and stuff. So, especially in lockdown, I think they're one of the ones that have been really, I don't know, just doing so much content. <laughs> I, I never expected Chris Jackson to come back, so the big Doctor Who fan, I'm super excited to hear those returns. Yeah, I didn't think there'd be a chance in hell of that either, to be honest. Christopher Eccleston's always seemed like this kind of actor that does a thing for a little while and then never goes near it again. So you get him for one film or you get him for a few episodes of something and then he moves on to the next project. But yeah, I think with this stigma of mental health sort of disappearing, he's maybe feeling a bit more open about why he does that. And I think with Doctor Who as well, it was well known at the time when he was filming it that he was exhausted and the way they were filming it was slave driving pretty much. And that's why they brought in those once a season Doctor Light episodes where the Doctor would not be in it very much. Give them a break in filming so that they can rest up before they have to do the bigger stuff and whatever else. So he's willing to kind of re-engage with it for those that enjoy it. I mean, obviously the big finish stuff will never be canon, will it? It's just a bit of fun, really. Yeah, it's all fun, but that's the fun of it, really. 
especially with stuff like time travel the doctors met winston churchill like six different times or like six different things and <laughs> all that stuff in the old days before the new series they wrote books and people wrote stories and all that and stuff on forums and whatever so when it comes to stuff like that i don't really worry too much about canon when it comes to, to stories as long as you like it like if you don't like it don't worry about it be a lot easier if that was a rule for just in general. Yeah. Well, usually the current showrunner wrecks the canon of the last showrunner anyway. That's kind of the rule, yeah, they just challenge each other. <laughs> it's the equivalent of J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson in Star Wars, just destroying each other, just with each subsequent film. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Just... <laughs> it's so passive-aggressive, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. If you want to listen to that, when does it come out? It's four box sets. The first is coming out in spring 2021. It'll usually run quite a while. They'll probably do two a year, so it'll be 2021 to 2023. Cool. Check out that. Look for that. Sounds good. And Chris, what's your Neil before? So a little trailer popped up this week for a new Netflix original movie called Enola Holmes, based on the Enola Holmes Mysteries book series. It stars Millie Bobby Brown out of Stranger Things. Looks like it might be a bit of fun. It's basically following the lesser-known sister of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes, who's a bit of a tearaway, and it just sort of seems a little bit fourth wall breaky, but yeah, seems fun. What was the name of the sister that turned up in the latest series of Sherlock? Oh, that was Yoros Holmes. Mm. I reviewed those episodes and I can't remember. Yeah, I always get confused. What do we really want? More Sherlock. But this looks like a fun alt-take sort of thing. I mean, you were talking about canon there earlier on. <laughs> how many different adaptations versions of Sherlock Holmes have we had now but it looks really good uh, it's got uh, Henry Cavill in there playing Sherlock as well so you know <laughs> can't go wrong with that Ella Bonham Carter playing the mum of the Holmeses Henry Cavill is Sherlock Holmes we get a spin-off of that <laughs> <laughs> that's what you really want isn't it <laughs> just this super ripped monstrous Sherlock Holmes <laughs> He has to reload his brain every time he has a new deduction. <laughs> <laughs> he just does all these like mind palace stuff while lifting weights. <laughs> yeah. So you've got Henry Cavill as Sherlock and Sam Cafflin as Mycroft. Okay. It does look super fun. And the trailer only came out, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday, yeah. Yeah. At time of recording. Yes. Yeah. For you listening 10 years in the future, this thing's been on a long time. Following the Neil Before Pod rules of time travel. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It either already exists, will never exist, or might exist soon. We don't know. Yeah. I saw that this trailer existed, but I didn't watch it. I probably will have a look at the trailer at some point. It seems really good fun, though I will put the caveat that either the humour in it will be really annoying and it'll be awful, or it'll be fantastic fun and just an enjoyable watch. But mainly, I'm Neil Before. Did you laugh during the trailer at any point? I chuckled a couple of times, so there you go. Oh, that's a reasonable sign, I suppose. Yeah, it looks sort of charming in like a... Even if it's not good, it was fine. It looks like one of those sort of things. It'll either be really fun and really good and really great, or like a Paddington, it'll be super charming. Or at worst, it'll be a romp that was like a, a good watch once. So it's kind of a win-win, I think. Millie Bobby Brown just getting cast as the... We need someone who's a little bit weird, a little bit out there. Is that just her niche at the moment? <laughs> Daughter of Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> it sort of works. You can see that works. Yeah. Sure. Why not? So check that out. Check out the trailer. Check it out when it comes on if you feel like it. Why not? My new before is... The live-action TV adaptation that's coming up on the CW of the Powerpuff Girls. People might be wondering, why would you kneel before this? This sounds terrible. And that was my first reaction when I saw the headline. But then I looked into it, and 
Basically, they are 20-somethings who are frustrated that they lost their childhood to fighting crime. And that's the premise. And I'm quite into that premise. I like the idea of them sort of being resentful of their upbringing. Because if you think about it, it's kind of a sketchy background that they have. They were created in a lab by a professor who just wanted to create something. And they put sugar and spice and everything nice and some weird scientific cauldron thing. And out popped these three superhero girls that he then made fight crime. That's something to play with. It's kind of disturbing if you frame it in that direction. But it's the most CW thing I've ever heard. As in, hmm, what about the Powerpuff Girls? But gorgeous 20-somethings. <laughs> they actually like CGI their heads to be super huge to the bodies, though. that will never happen the cw don't have that kind of money to do that for every episode (laughs) it's an interesting take on it because it's it's similar to the concept of umbrella academy which is youngsters fighting crime and then fast forwarding to their adulthood so yeah i'm for that it's a different take on it and you can imagine it all cw'd up i think cw is just accepting now it's a home of superheroes isn't it superheroes and gorgeous people i mean they've always been a home of gorgeous (laughs) people but yeah when they did that whole we are open to all campaigners we are open to all unless you're ugly in which case leave (laughs) but yeah i'm into it and I'll be interested to see how it shapes out. It's got some good names involved in it. Names like Greg Berlanti, who does all the Arrowverse stuff and so on. So watch this space and I'll maybe rise against it or kneel before it later on. Okay, Isaac, what do you want to rise against? I want to rise against the constant popularity of the evil Superman. <laughs> I know we're going, to see, we're going to discuss it further in fandom with Kill the Justice League and the Snyder Cut. I really want like a good Superman. <laughs> a good Superman. Because even Man of Steel is a, is a bit... Sauce, there's some weird ideology in that film. Like, it's fine, but there's a lot of weird, don't help others ideology from his parents, which is, makes it a bit clunky. I've always found his Clark Kent being just a guy in the office that no one really gives a second look at, but actually, if you get to know him, he's the most powerful person ever. And also, when he beats Lex Luthor, usually it's as Clark Kent, because he'll write some expose on something. I always found that like super inspiring as a sort of shiner. And I want to see this on the screen. It's always, oh, what if Superman was a dictator again? <laughs> Especially in the, when we need hope more with pandemic and everyone being locked away. We kind of need a big hero figure and the inspiration to help others and look out for everybody. It's like, oh, no, we can't have that. We can't have a different one. I know it's different interpretations of the character. It doesn't always have to be the same, but he's a superhero. Like, did you get it right? He is the superhero. He's the superhero. And we haven't had, really, a proper good Superman. Outside of, uh, I know there's the Superman film, you know, you're getting that maybe exclusive interview with this, the Man of Tomorrow. Um, comics are doing him, I think Brian Michael Bendis is still doing him at the moment. And, you know, they're all good. But the main frame of reference known for everybody is film and Speaking of CW, are they doing anything with Tyler Hoechlin or is they disappear in the crisis thing? So there's going to be a Tyler Hoechlin or Hoechlin or however you pronounce his name led TV show called Superman and Lois where they're raising their two teenage sons. Okay, so there's some hope, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, although it's quite funny because if you watch Crisis on Infinite Earths, it's constantly about how this Superman that we've got in our universe kind of sucks. The Brandon Routh one, he's the paragon. It was bloody, yeah. We don't need anything to take on Superman. We just need him to, like, talk someone out of a suicide and save a cat and then tell someone off for 
not putting batteries in their smoke detector or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so cheap. Just get heavy pebble and stuff. There'll be excuses. He can always take his shirt off to wrap up a newborn child. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to punch everything. And then, I don't know, he can kick a pedophile in the sun for the action scene in the third act or something. <laughs> It's so depressing with that. They kill the Justice League and the. Obviously, it's not a depressing, but we'll get into it later. But it's always like, it's a really good, good Superman doing good things and then giving hope to everyone. Well, the CW Superman is that, to be fair. He is very Christopher Reeve in the way that he conducts himself. But they have this awkward habit of every time he shares screen time with Supergirl, they make sure there's dialogue that references how much better she is at something than he is. Like during Crisis, they're doing this thing where they're heat visioning something to give it power, and he collapses first. (laughs) And then they reference it later, or they fight at some point and Kara beats him because she's stronger than he is. (laughs) So they just keep doing that. I think it's more to, we need to make our lead hero look better, but he is that. So you might get that out of the CW one if you chose to engage with that. The animated one, he's very traditional as well. Yeah. Or different ones. I think the things they're putting in the fandom and stuff, like the mainstream stuff. Little Lex Luthor's in charge of fandom. I don't trust him, he's an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we'll get on to talking about Superman or the lack of Superman when we talk about fandom in more detail. But in the meantime, Chris, what's your Rise Against? Rise Against. So I did a Netflix kneel before. I'm going to do a Netflix Rise Against, which is that they've announced that they're going to be doing a sort of drama-based thing on the Tiger King. Now... It's already been a documentary that was wildly successful. Now they've decided, oh, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to dramatise it. And I just think that's a bit unnecessary. It's like we've already watched a really good documentary that was really well put together, pretty jaw-dropping, got lots of people talking about it. Does it now need to immediately become a drama? What can you show that is going to be any more shocking than what was seen in the documentary? It just seems unnecessary. It is, yes. Milk and the cash cow, isn't it? It is. I get why they're doing it. It's for the money. But yeah, just for entertainment purposes, just doesn't seem necessary. It seems that you've already told a very good story there. Are they getting Nicholas Cage as Tiger King? Uh, I'm not too sure. I know that we've got Kate McKinnon is going to be playing Carol Baskin. I've read that, but I'm not too sure. There were rumours about who was going to be playing him, but not too sure. Okay. It might have been one of the rumours. It has to be Nicolas Cage. Only one man can be that crazy. (laughs) Or pretend to be that crazy, while still being able to work with him. It's one of those ones that you're like, okay, so you've done one documentary that worked rather well, and now it's going to be turned into a series of, I don't know, it's going to be like four series worth of dramatised content. I wonder if Netflix are catching on to the fact that no one talks about any of their stuff like two weeks after it's been on, though. Because... You get a dump of, say, 13 episodes of a TV show or however many episodes Tiger King was. People are talking about it for a couple of weeks until everyone that's going to watch it is caught up with it. And then the conversation just stops. So it's almost that they have to follow up on some things because it stops the conversation from happening. That is true. Nothing really, except maybe Stranger Things. It's probably like the only one I can think of that continues after its sort of burst of popularity when it's initially released it has a bit of a longer run stranger things though a longer run yeah but the conversation still stops i think it's because they're a bit quicker about announcing the next season of that than they are 
with certain other things. So I guess what happens is you stop talking about season two and then they've announced season three. So you talk about that for a bit. They start filming it. You talk about that for a bit. They get a trailer, start talking about that for a bit and so on. But did season two not release one episode at a time as well? Don't think they did. I don't think they brought that into popularity until quite recently. So I think that is, especially for series one and then like the Marvel stuff, releasing it in bursts meant there was no speculation or build-up. Yeah. It was all there immediately, especially with stuff like Stranger Things, which has kind of like a mystery plot to it. You can find it out in a day. It's not going to stick in your head or there's no time to theorise anything. Could you imagine if Daredevil season one had been a one episode at a time per week thing? Every week, people would be like, why isn't he wearing his red costume yet? When is he getting his red mm-hmm. costume? And you would get that for 12 weeks before he finally wears it in the 13th episode. <laughs> and then he wears it and everyone's like, yeah, it looks crap. Uh, <laughs> I wish you'd go back to the black one. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, that episodic thing allows people to discuss the show in real time. The problem always with these bingeable shows where the, the entire season goes up at once is you'll speak to someone and say, oh, my God, have you started watching it? Oh, yeah, 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 I've been watching it oh, I've, I've got as far as episode 10, and you'd be like, oh, I'm only on episode 8, so I can't really. Oh, <laughs> is that the one where, yeah, that's as far as that. Oh, well, I won't tell you anything else. It's like, okay, so then discussion stops at that point. And then if someone's consumed it in a weekend, it's like, I don't remember what happened <laughs> in episode 8. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember. What what was episode 8? Oh, it was the one where, you know, they trip over and fall into the lake or whatever. And then you go, okay, I, well, oh, I remember that. But then you start connecting things that go after. And it's it's difficult to discuss that way. Whereas I also get what you're saying, Craig. If you elongate stuff and you pass it out for too long, sometimes your debate can be, uh, oh, this is rubbish because this hasn't happened and that hasn't happened and this has taken for ages. Whereas if it's bingeable and people watch a few episodes at a time, I don't know. I think they might start doing more mid-season breaks where they do half a season and then they wait a month or something and then release the other half. They did that with Lucifer. I think they might start doing that so that they get that little bit of discussion where everyone catches up and then they move on. But with the stuff with Netflix, it's like it appears on BuzzFeed and Instagram and everything like that as soon as it's been uploaded pretty much. (laughs) So it's very difficult to avoid spoilers as well. If you're that kind of person that wants to make sure that you're not getting everything ruined for you, it's going to be in memes before you know it. So it's very tricky to try and avoid that kind of thing. I think most of the time when they release something episodically, it's normally because it's a Netflix original in the UK, but actually it's part of a TV show in the States, a TV network in the States. Yeah, like Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek or Designated Survivor or multiple other things like that. The Netflix over here claim is a Netflix original, which is actually a US TV format. Yeah. And the the thing you were talking about there with the half season thing, I watched Lucifer over last weekend at time of recording because I love Lucifer and I was like, I'm going to watch this or rather I'm going to start watching it. And if I'm engaged, I'll keep going. But weirdly, when they did their first Netflix season, season four. It was a Netflix season, as in there wasn't any individual episode that I could think, that's the episode where this happens. But this season, they've gone back to that episodic structure. They've just released eight of them at once. So every episode is distinct, and I could tell you what happened in all eight episodes because they all have a memorable hook to them. So Mm. I really wish that it had been released like that because I would have just loved to just, oh, this Friday I'm going to watch Lucifer again for eight weeks until... They take a break and release the other eight, but I don't know. Maybe they'll catch up to it. Maybe if this pandemic drags on, they'll realise we need to keep subscriptions going, so we need to be more episodic. We've all completed Netflix and lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
Well, Prime are doing that with the boys. They're giving us three and then once a week for the other five. Mm. So I think they're just trialling stuff between spreading their content out because lack of production at the moment, but also I think to see how long they can keep debate and things lasting. Yeah. Cool. So don't check out Tiger King or check it out the dramatisation of it. I don't know. We'll see what it turns out to be. Especially if Nicolas Cage is in it, it'll be worth it. So, my rise against. We're getting a remake of The Thing. Bloomhouse are developing a remake of The Thing, which is one of my favourite films ever. John Carpenter is involved in some way in a production capacity, I think, which might mean he's just put his name on it to enable it as an adaptation. It can happen. But I think The Thing, the original one, is a pretty perfect version of itself with great and gory and grotesque effects and a really tense and claustrophobic and paranoid atmosphere that I've never really seen since. They did a prequel a few years ago, also called The Thing, that was okay. Not as good, but it was okay. And it was set just before the film. And I just don't see why they're remaking this. What other angle is there? You can adapt something else from the short story it's based on, I guess. But it seems that we already have this. And already have it in its most perfect form. They're doing quite good at the moment, aren't they? The Invisible Man. Yeah, but they also made Fantasy Island, which was crap. So they don't always hit it out of the park. Yeah, it's a good one to do with a low budget. Well, I suppose except for the effects, but it's a, a bottle episode film, I guess, because it's in a, a central base with like five people. So all your money's going into the effects. But I guess it's like it can be made, it's not overly big budget. So it's the beloved 80s thing to reboot on the list it's quite a good one for the businessman because like oh, i'll make money returns and you know, it's good creatures and we can get john carpenter to put his name on it to not that really means anything but you kind of think like oh if he says it's okay it's like steven spielberg putting his name on jurassic world still crap but his <laughs> name's on it <laughs> it's one of those ones i rise against quite often when they do remakes of different things disney in particular going back and doing stuff it's like why why are you going back to this oh it's a known commodity and people will go and see it it doesn't need to be done. The original is still there and is still okay. So why go and tweak it? But it is just cashing in on property that's owned kind of thing. I think that's the crux of it. If they decided that they were going to do something different or something surprising with it or interesting with it, then cool. But a lot of the times it isn't that. It's almost direct remakes just with, oh, we've done slightly better effects or it now is shot with an IMAX camera. So it doesn't need it. No. I think the thing is the perfect version of itself already. Just yeah. watch it. It's just it's just so perfectly constructed. It's wonderful. It just seems that they're doing that with more and more films at the moment, be it comedies or every genre is getting that at the moment. And horror particularly is <laughs> they revisit and redo and sequelize so many things now. Thing is, the thing concept comes up in almost everything. If you watch a genre TV show for long enough, they'll do that episode where everyone's kind of stuck in a situation and one of them, but they don't know who, is trying to kill them. Anyone can be the bad guy. So whether that be a shape-shifting thing or whether it's just someone in their midst that they can't trust or whatever. So that concept happens all the time. So make that. I mean, make an original take on that rather than doing this i mean you won't get the name mm. recognition but bloomhouse have that reputation as we make good horror films sometimes so people might just watch it on that plus as isaac says the budget will be relatively low and you don't need to make a huge return in order to make money out of it mm. 
I will see. I'll watch it anyway, probably, so I can drop my monocle in my martini glass and be upset. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it. Neil Before Rise Against is complete. Let's go into the dome. The fandom, that is. And I really want to start with Batman, because I'm sick of Batman. And I just want to get out of the way. (laughs) Sick of Batman. Now it's not a good time to be sick of Batman. <laughs> it's never a good time to be sick of Batman. <laughs> You're kind of limiting yourself if you don't want to talk about Batman. <laughs> well, no, I do, but just get out of the way. Plus, he'll turn <laughs> up throughout this conversation. I've got a few very specific grievances with the trailer. Okay, well, lead us off. Okay, so I'm starting with, why does Riddler's handwriting have to be so bad? Like, I think it's really clever. <laughs> it's like a foiled writing, because, you know, that's the writing of the Joker. And Joker, his writing was rubbish and they're going on that sort of weird loner thingy but i don't know well i've got maybe two or three things but i've watched her a couple of times i'm like you can come up with riddles and posts you know he's an indoorsman but i just did with you know the old days i don't know there's obviously very big zodiac david pincher vibes you know they used to cut up magazines as the cliche sort of hide the handwriting trick very distracting with anything the riddler would have had way better handwriting like his penmanship is terrible in this film <laughs> I mean, he spends all his time working on the riddles, so he doesn't have time to do the calligraphy to send them out, I think. But yeah, it's that on screen shorthand, isn't it? It's a, a scribble. Instead of neat, perfect handwriting, it's scribbled, scrawled handwriting to show sort of a troubled mind or, you know, something you should be scared by, isn't it? It's that yeah. on screen shorthand that we see quite often. I thought the trailer was okay in the sense that it gives me an idea of what it's going to look like. I don't think it looks all that different from a Nolan Batman film, which I find off-putting because are we just stuck with this aesthetic for the rest of time because people like Christopher Nolan? And listening to Matt Reeves talking about it was what excited me a bit more because that guy sounds like he is fully on board with what he's doing. He loves the idea of what his Batman's going to be, and he's promising that it's going to be different. It's a hugely different take. It's all about year two, which we've never seen on film. He's going to do all these different things. And then they show us a trailer that's kind of more of the same. It looks like they're going with like the more detective side, and he's looking with the police, and him and the villa sort of have this game, and he has to work it out as opposed to this isn't a thing he can just run in and punch. But also, you can have him, you know, Poison Ivy or someone, or Mr. Freeze, or someone a bit more supernatural. Because, yeah, otherwise it does look a bit like a Nolan movie. And now there is, with this Riddler and with the sort of good bits of plot we get from the trailer, there was a quite recent Jeff Johns comic, Batman Year One, Volume Two, in which it's early Batman, uh, the beginning of his career. Riddler is a sort of a bomber, but he's targeting specific people to do with financing a corrupt mayor. And it's like bomb riddles around. I know that he said is uh, Long Halloween and Ego, the Tim Sale comic alike, two of the ones Matt Reeves used when he was coming up with the story. But uh, if anyone wants to check out Earth One Volume 2, there's a very similar feeling. So I know Jeff Johns is the doing 5D of the DCU at the moment as well, so I think he might have, I don't know if that's his, you know, sneaking his work book into it and stuff. There is that kind of feeling where it is quite real, grounded in... You know, the villains are there's a penguin, he's just a corrupt guy, he's not got trick and bell or anything, he's just a guy. And Catwoman's in it as well. And I don't know, it might just be 
because I've been reading on her recently, but and it's the same sort of early in his career working with Gordon Feeling. But I think it might have too many coincidences for me. Chris, what did you make of it? I think the trailer's all right. I mean, we know that they haven't completed shooting yet. We know that it's still a sort of early development trailer, this. It's interesting. Like you say, it's very much got the Nolan aesthetic. And again, it worked well in Batman Begins and with that trilogy. But do we really need to retread the same way again? The interesting thing about this one is it's jumping in at year two. So it's not doing like an Origins as much as you'd expect. Batman Begins, it kind of went from, oh, I'm going to dress up as a bat. And then it fast forwarded to, oh, I'm completely perfect at doing this now. I've got this sorted. So maybe we're going to get a bit of a more imperfect trainee Batman in here. I don't know. So it seems interesting. I like that we've got sort of emo Bruce Wayne. (laughs) Is this? (laughs) So it seems an interesting way of doing it. I don't know. Am I going to end up watching it? Yes. (laughs) I am going to end up going and watching it. But is it going to be much different? I don't know. Like you say, the people involved are very enthusiastic. If there was something that came across on fandom, it's that everyone is very enthusiastic about what they're putting out. So, yeah, it fills me with a little bit of confidence, that. And the casting, the sort of other cast that are around Robert Patterson seem quite good. You've got Jeffrey Wright. As much as I go on sometimes about how Westworld can be disappointing towards the latter ends of the season... Jeffrey Wright's performances and that are always very, very, very good when he's given stuff on the page to do. He's brilliant. So seeing him as a Jim Gordon character, pretty good. I didn't know, it was only when I was sort of doing a little bit of stuff before this podcast that I noticed that Andy Serkis is playing Alfred. Yeah. So that's that sounds quite interesting. I don't know what that'll be like. So yeah, I think there's some interesting things there. There's a lot of good components. So let's see. There were not who's playing the Riddler and stuff. I don't know if this is, obviously we don't know what the how the film's part going, but do you think they might have missed a trick with announcing it? They could have had the actor playing, like, you know, the secretary to the mayor or something, and it's, you know, there's suspects and it's a real case, or, you know. Nah, we all hate that. It's the John Harrison Harrison. and (laughs) whatever Blofeld was originally called before everybody figured it out immediately. I suppose, but I mean, you don't have to say that they're the villain. You know, you put them in as a guy somewhere, and then you keep it till the end to... Like in a, a Poirot or sort of thing, you have the big cast and you have like the mysterious killer. Obviously, we all know it's the Riddler, but we have, and you know, the voice in the trailer is modulated and stuff. So yeah, I think they could have not said, this person's playing the villain, but who's the villain? Well, and someone's playing the Riddler, but not saying which actor it is. Yeah, the villain will be the Riddler, but we're not telling you which of the following cast members <laughs> it's going to be kind of thing. Reverse Khan. Situation. Yeah, say that it is definitely the Riddler, but not say who. I would love for them to pull the wool of your eyes, kind of thing, in tricking you into thinking, oh, it's going to be this person and it's not. And for them to successfully pull that off would be really impressive. The problem is that normally the marketing gives it away, the interviews give it away, screenshots give it away. Their own marketing campaigns and stuff always trip up when they try and do these things. The lies of the filmmaker yeah. give it away. No, he's not playing Khan. <laughs> Come on, J.J. Abrams, shop. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he's not playing this. He's playing this completely other character. Okay, so who's your villain then? Oh, it's this guy. Really? You've invented yourself a new villain? Oh, good. But yeah, it's very difficult for them to do that. I would love for a surprise like that. Like you say, it would then play more into the sort of great detective side of Batman that they always say that they're going to do but never really pull off if you did have a proper investigation. 
instead of you sitting there going, oh, it's him, it's him, it's him. <laughs> the whole time, yeah. you'd have that sort of, oh, who done it? Who's this? Set up three characters or something as potential and then run it through. Yeah, I think the detective thing is something that's sorely lacking. You get it in The Dark Knight where he tries to shoot a wall with a bullet or something like that so he can match it to another bullet with a fingerprint on it. I still, to this day, have no idea what the whole point of that scene was. I don't understand why it's, well, look, that bullet shattered in the same way that this bullet shattered. It's a bit more random than that. You need to probably do it more than four times with a Gatling gun that only fires. I don't know. It's rubbish. But I think Michael Keaton did a bit of investigation in the first Batman movie, but Mm. again, not a huge amount. So Ben Affleck, he looked at computer screens a couple of times and and he tried to hack stuff. So that's a bit of detectiving. But yeah, if the whole film is a detective story, that'd be great. And the Riddler is a perfect villain to do that. But then you limit your interaction between hero and villain because he has to find them. Which, as Isaac said, would be great if you didn't know who the Riddler was. So then when you see him, it's, oh my God, it's this guy. But we'll see, I guess. And based on that trailer, it seems like the Riddler is the main villain and everything else is just texture. So you'll have Cobblepot, you'll have Selena Kyle, you'll have all the rest of them. But they're just part of the world, but they're not the focus of it. Which is a good world building thing, I guess. Depends if they start to feel like a distraction from the overall plot, though. That can happen, I think. Yeah, I would guess a couple parts either some sort of cold open with Batman and that's why he's driving away saying he's crazy or he's maybe a Riddler target and he's got some connections to organised crime and that's who he's escaping from. He won't have a plan. He'll just be one of the mob. He'll have some goons, maybe. I guess you want to do a few of these films like her and Bruce Wayne will become close over three or four films or how many? It's balancing it enough where it doesn't feel like it's sequel bait the whole time. Like, oh, let's set up this and this and this and this because we're going to make tons of these. You know, you want to, you know, have them there for a purpose, not necessarily distracting from the plot. is a very fine line to try and walk, I think. Yeah, we don't want the scene where they sit down and explain what all the sequels are going to be about. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 made that mistake. The Mummy, as in the most recent one, made that mistake. In fact, Batman v Superman made that mistake. Let's sit down and introduce all the Justice League characters, but we're not really having them in this film. This is just a scene where Wonder Woman reads an email, and that's world building. It's bad world building. And they've also got this announced Gotham PD TV series, which is, well, we already had a TV show about Gotham PD. It was called Gotham. And apparently this one, it was set up as a prequel, which it still is, but it's a Batman year one type thing. So it is about Gotham PD when Batman is just a rumour and... People are talking about them and things, but how long can you eke that out? Well, obviously, it can't have much more than one season, can it? Unless it's in real time. (laughs) Every episode is just a single day in the lives of these people, and then you can have 365 episodes because it's all just one day. But how far into that can you get until you actually have to show Batman in some way? So we've got a crime scene photo of some weird caped figure jumping out the window, things like that. Is there a thing they could Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.-ish do, like... The first series is year one, and then... We talked about how the worst things Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did was those sorts Mm -hmm. of tie-ins. Yeah, where you're jumping into the scenes from the film or trying to tidy up after that and then jump after. I mean, you could do it where your series picks up after, you know, so you've got one which is a prequel. The next one takes place after the events of the film that you've seen kind of thing, but that's the kind of coordination that never really happened. In the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast you'll hear us chat about the fact that because one wasn't allowed to know the secrets of the other, 
So the TV show was never really allowed to know the 100% plot of the film. It meant that they couldn't react in any way or react properly. And I imagine this Gotham PD thing would be very, very similar unless they managed to really share the information properly. If they'd managed to do that, then great. But the problem, a lot of the times where TV shows are told, oh, you can't use Batman or you won't use Batman, as much as I've argued, and I saw it on some of the fandom stuff, was like, oh, we've never told them that they can't use Batman. <laughs> and it's like, uh, really? Would they really go that as far as they've gone in some circumstances to just not show Batman if you hadn't told them otherwise kind of thing? So if you've got the whole Gotham PD thing and it's all, oh, well, this mysterious man has left a note giving you clues to who the murderer is this week or the goons just happen to be tied up when you get there to rescue someone sort of thing. Eventually, you've got to cave in and show Batman. And Gotham had that exact same problem, which was, no, 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 this isn't a Batman origin. This is based on Gotham PD. And then, of course, by the end, you have a version of Batman. So I don't know. Also, TV budgets, film budgets, what cast you can get in, who you can't get in, stuff like that. Well, it's an HBO Max thing, so I would imagine Jeffrey Wright would be contracted Mm -hmm. to do both, surely. So then you can have Gordon and both things. Exactly. Westworld is an HBO property. He's already very much in with HBO, so yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't think you'll get Robert Pattinson in here, though. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It can just be a shadow. You can just have the silhouette or someone stood on a... (laughs) Not a goblin, what are they called? But whatever. You know the things. Gargoyle. I mean, the thing is, Titans, I don't know if either of you have watched Titans. The first season of Titans had a very similar problem where they're constantly talking about Batman and doing flashback, but they're mainly showing him sort of in shadow, off screen, behind a window pane or something like that. You never actually see Batman. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be out with the realms of possibility to get some stuntman in the Robert Pattinson costume for some scenes here and there. Yeah, you don't have to pay a costume. Like, yeah, just get someone <laughs> just get someone to fill in. Like Batman is all designed about shadows and smoke and mm. never really showing his face. But the thing normally is that people want that interaction, don't they? Between your lead or your cast and Batman. They don't just want to see Batman come in and do a fight, disappear. They want that interaction or that knowledge of what's going on. I reckon what they might do, maybe he hasn't fully developed the suit yet. So there might be a bit where there's like um, the Daredevil design, just like a balaclava and like... (laughs) (laughs) He's not the Bat yet, he's just a vigilante and he can do that way. And he can just have a guy in a leather jacket and a... Yeah, Balaclava, just a bunch of other people. Yeah, maybe. Gets a taxi instead of his own Batmobile, that kind of stuff. Gets an Uber. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The trailer looks okay. Emo Batman. It's kind of embarrassing that Robert Pattinson managed to shake the emo vampire perception over a number of years, and now he's back playing emo superhero. It feels like a bit of a step back, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when it comes out, I guess. Matt Reeves is excited, so maybe I should be excited, but I'm not, because I'm sick of Batman. So, <laughs> speaking of being sick of Batman, Snyder Cut. We have the Snyder Cut trailer, and it's a lot of footage that we've seen before. It's some bad CGI of Darkseid and Desad as well. They both look like PS2 cutscenes, as people say. I wouldn't say they're that bad. I think they're more early PS3 cutscenes. <laughs> I'll give them that. But I don't know. It looks okay. It just kind of looks a bit more like Batman v Superman, which, if you hate that film, you're not going to like this. And anyone that's convinced themselves that it's the second coming of film Jesus, it's not. 
It's not going to be that. It's going to be what you didn't like about the last one that you made. But longer. But longer. Four hours. Four bloody hours. Who's that third goblin guy? <laughs> he got step and dark side and then... The, the sad. The guy who bought Vision in Edinburgh. In yeah. Yeah, it looks like that. Yeah, Dasad, his name is. Is he just another of the generals of Apocalypse? Yeah, he's another one of the New Gods. Is that what they are? Or whatever they... The New Gods are something else. But he's one of them, yes. He's one of Apocalypse's guys. It's really weird and out of place, right? A lot of the other stuff in the trailer we, we know because it was in the movie. So we know, like, the Aquaman, the River Water, and the Wood Woman, and the Flash and stuff. And it's only just a frame of just this dude. And you're like, oh! A new thing, and then it cuts off immediately. He doesn't interact with anyone either as well. It's just him looking at the camera. I think, like, all the, the imagery of the trailer, that bit stuck onto me. It's like, oh, it's a thing. It's a monster. <laughs> I think this is a bit weird because Zack Snyder's releasing something to the public that we all know, or it's not that hard to find out what the plot was because when it all got axed, he started talking about, here's what I was going to do, and we were going to do this post-apocalyptic, literally, because the planet's called Apocalypse, future where the Justice League have been destroyed and then the Flash goes back in time to give them another shot at it, etc., etc. So we already know how this plot's going to play out and we see another version of the kind of nightmare scenario where the Earth's destroyed and the Justice League headquarters are in ruins and all that kind of stuff. So I'm fascinated to see this and I feel like if this is good or at least a little bit better than the Joss Whedon version, DC will just be like, yeah, that one doesn't count. This is the real one. This is the real one. We might make another one now because people kind of like this. I don't know. But the trailer is... Yeah, it was all right, I guess. It's a lot of what we're already seeing. If you watch the very first Justice League trailer, it's very similar. Yeah, there's lots more Ray Fisher in this. He's the heart of the story, apparently. Yeah, yeah and also obviously, there's been all that stuff where he's been talking about you know, Joss Whedon cutting him and all this sort of bad stuff's come out there. So I think there's a bit of more Ray Fisher in, so we know that like he, get, he gets a decent go this time sort of thing. Yeah, but why, oh, why was Hallelujah scoring the trailer? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Ah, it's so overused. It appears on everything. It's like, no, someone somewhere with the rights just start banning people and going, no, (laughs) you can't have it. You can't anymore. It's used. It's been done. And Zack Snyder got laughed at the last time he used Hallelujah to punctuate a particular (laughs) sequence. Yeah, why use it? You just don't. There's so many other Jeff Buckley songs. Feel free to go and use another Jeff Buckley song. (laughs) You know, it's fine. It's fine. We don't mind if you pick something else, but why that one all the time? The trailer, I was kind of the same as you, Isaac, where when I was watching it, I was like, see odd frames of stuff that I've not seen and be like, oh, oh, that's interesting. But a lot of it was alternate camera angles to stuff that we've seen before. Like the scene with Aquaman going into the water. Okay, we've seen him do that shot before, but this is just a slightly different way of framing it. And then other bits look like they're taken from the original trailers that we saw before things started getting rechopped. I don't know if it was like, oh, we've got to make sure that every frame in this trailer is something slightly different from what they've seen in the original theatrical version so that it all looks like it's brand new, despite the fact that a massive chunk of this must be stuff we've already seen. I don't know how much of it is new footage. Snyder said that not a second of Joss Whedon's stuff is in his film. Yeah, but has anything new been filmed specifically for this? No, they're re-recording dialogue or recording different dialogue for certain scenes, but everything has already been filmed already. Mm. So it seems like he was pretty much done, but then... Yeah, if you had four hours of like... Well, he had an assembly cut and then Wonder Woman came out and everyone was like, crap, we need more optimism and we need to lighten the colours. And then Zack Snyder's daughter unfortunately dies. And then the next thing you know is they're 
getting Joss Whedon in to reshoot large chunks of the film and make it worse, objectively worse, in a lot of cases, probably. Yeah, because obviously you have to do like a lot of new budget on like, the effects and just portion that off, which I guess is a big chunk of the work that we finished doing. Yeah, I think the thing that puts me off it a bit more is Zack Snyder himself. Because the guy is such a... Oh, is that that weirdest tweet where it's like, uh, I'm making this for adults? Yeah. He's so smug. That's the word I was looking for. He's very smug. Yeah, he's like super edgy. Yeah, there was this journalist. I forget the guy's name, but he called out or he commented on the trailer. And this was when it leaked, which was a couple hours before it actually was revealed at Fandome somehow. It just leaked somehow. I guess some disgruntled, unemployed DC employees were like, screw this, I've got this in my hard drive, I'm leaking this, whatever. (laughs) And then they did. So Snyder called them out for commenting on a leaked trailer. It's like, okay, it's leaked, but it is the trailer, so what's all this about? And then talked about my films for grown-up. Why don't you grow up, Zack Snyder? (laughs) I'm sure you wouldn't be saying that if he was praising the thing that got leaked. It's just off-putting. And then when he was interviewing those sycophants that started this movement, it's like, oh my God, it's like, I really hate that these people are getting their way. Even though I want to see this thing, I really hate that this is how it happened. Yeah. Or they think it's how it happened. It's not how it happened. It happened because HBO Max doesn't have content and they have this thing lying around that they can put together relatively cheaply. And that's why it is. It wouldn't be happening otherwise. Yeah, I always hate when something's done and then like a group of weirdos sort of claim it as like a victory. Yeah. You know, we got it done, finally. Like, I don't know, when Ryan Johnson makes another Star Wars film, they'll be like, oh, we did it. We all said we were wrong, but we got him to make another one. I was like, no, it wasn't anything to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the guy that got in. <laughs> yeah. So Snyder puts me off. I don't like that he's getting his way on this thing because it's just made him very, very smug. And if he calls out people online for speaking ill of them, then go ahead, Snyder. We need the listeners. It's not a a movement that'll end with the movie. It'll it'll be the ultimate cut or like his three movie vision or whatever. Yeah, let him finish his vision. Let him take charge of the DC universe going forward, yeah. It's never going to end like all these people like releasing stuff. It'll be like, once one thing's done, we'll just ask for another thing and then we'll keep going. We'll get weird. I really hope that they hate it. That'd be hilarious. Those people that campaign to see this thing and they end up not liking it. Oh, it's universally beloved and it's mainstream and they're like, oh, yeah, like, oh, it's made for the true fans. It's like, oh no, everyone loves it. It's made like so much money. <laughs> it's three billion, like everyone. Even women are going to see it or whatever. <laughs> people who think that they're this elite super group who like, you know, they're the acolytes or whatever, and it's like, oh no, it's but this one's for everyone. I think that'd be funnier, actually. What was the other thing you got asked? Is the line where Superman says to Batman, do you bleed in the film? And he says, no, because that doesn't make any sense. Actually, it does kind of make sense because it is a follow-up to the line that Batman said to Superman, which was really stupid. So, yes, you put the do you bleed line in, you started this, but we have black suit Superman for no other reason than people want black suit Superman, as in he has been actually recolored. To be wearing a black suit. <laughs> yeah, are they redoing the face as well, like the moustache thing, or is keeping the... They're not using any of the reshoot footage, so that saves them moustache editing. <laughs> I think they should do the opposite. I think they should put a moustache in on the Snyder <laughs> Cut. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Commissioner Gordon, who already has a moustache, have another moustache over his. And- <laughs> You just got to swap around. Everyone that doesn't have a moustache now gets one. Everyone that did, it gets erased. Uh, yes. Sorry. Or just alternate scenes where different people have (laughs) moustaches. 
Well, just half on one side of it, like one, one nostril and long. It's clean yeah. shaven and one nostril is big twirly. But no one ever discusses in Justice League how Batman is clean shaven in the opening scene. And then he goes to see Aquaman and he has a full beard, even though it's like the same day or the next day. And then he's shaving again in the following scene. It's cold and he has to go out of beard immediately. <laughs> <laughs> this was it. Matches Malone persona. And he... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So any last things on the Snyder Cut or shall we move on? Is there, should we do like any ranking? What do we think was the best? What do we think, where does this fit in our excitement meter or whatever? Or... <laughs> Well, I'm basically going to kneel before everything because I want to see everything. Yeah, I kneel before the ones that I watch the stuff for, I think. <laughs> the, ones, <laughs> the ones that I forgot existed, I'm like, uh, yeah, they did. <laughs> as much as we've got reservations, I think we always say we'll end up watching regardless. <laughs> it's like there's so many things that I, I sit there and go, this doesn't look like it'll be the best. And I will end up watching it to confirm my theory because... A trailer is exactly that. It is just a trailer. How many times have we been burnt by a great trailer for a terrible film? Yeah. And alternately, films that have got trailers that are very meh, but actually when you go and see the film, it's great. So We'll see how this shakes out in four-hour chunks. Four one-hour chunks, not four-hour chunks. <laughs> yeah, spread out across multiple months so that you get a subscription for each month. Yeah, we'll see. I like it in the main, but I'd rather not have to put up with Zack Snyder's attitude along with his followers' attitude as well. It's draining. It really is. Let's get all the Batman stuff out of the way and we'll talk about The Flash. Which sounds weird when you say it. Let's get the Batman stuff out of the way by talking about The Flash. We know how many Batman it takes to cover up a shady actor's assault of a fan. <laughs> yeah. So The Flash, which I will subsequently call Two Batman because that's what it kind of seems mm-hmm. to be. Ben Affleck's coming back for The Flash. Michael Keaton is now confirmed. Those things are exciting, maybe. It kind of makes sense that Affleck would be involved, because it is that Barry Allen, in theory. So if they are looking to get him out of there and establish kind of a new continuity using him, it makes sense for him to leave the old one behind. Where the Keaton one comes in, I don't know. It sounds like an interesting idea, and... On a conceptual level, the fact that they're opening up this whole multiverse concept through this film telling audiences that there is a multiverse is a reasonable idea. Although having the first Flash film be a continuity-breaking film when there's no continuity break is a bit weird. Also, Batman is such a dominating presence a lot of the times in these films that to have multiple Batman in a Flash film is like, oh, it's another Batman film with the Flash. (laughs) I would like for this to be... The Flash goes, changes the timeline, comes back, and there's a constantly rotating cast of Batman. <laughs> That's what I actually want, is he goes back, he tweaks something, he comes back, and instead of Ben Affleck, this time you've got George Clooney. I'd quite happily settle <laughs> for that film if it was just every time he comes back, there's a different Batman sitting there. Be it a Lego version, I would be fine with that. And every time Batman says, no, I'm a different Batman, immediately. <laughs> No introductions at all, or it doesn't have to make sense. It's just like, no, sorry, Barry, you still got the wrong Batman. I'd happily settle for him coming back, and one time he's evil, one time he's dead, next time it's Batwoman. I'd, I'd accept anything like that. It's like if it was just him constantly going back, trying to tweak something, and arriving in the present with a different Batman. Fine. There's a real danger of this film just being that, though, as in, let's use this film to run around and do different references to past DC properties. But we don't have a continuity for this Barry Allen yet. We've not, well, we, 
I suppose by the time it comes out, we'll have seen that version of Iris West because she'll be in Justice League. Whether she does anything other than get rescued is up for debate. But we don't know much about his life other than what we saw in Justice League with his dad and so on, which is stuff that if you watch the TV show, you'll be pretty familiar with. And we already saw that they meet in crisis. So I don't know if they'll reuse that scene or expand on that scene in any way, because they did confirm that in that scene, Barry of the TV verse gives him his name, calls him the flash. And he's like, the flash, what's all that about? And apparently that's going to hold. That's where he got his name. So whether they continue to commit to that or not is unknown. I don't want it to be a, oh my God, now we've CGI'd him into a scene with Christopher Reeve because we want to see <laughs> that. I probably shouldn't assume that because that assumes that they want to do something with Superman, which apparently they don't. So maybe it wouldn't be Christopher Reeve. It would be Adam West. That's what it will be. <laughs> They'll put Adam West in there somewhere. It just seems, like you say, it's very odd to go for something like Flashpoint first for a thing that doesn't have any continuity, except the fact that they're trying to really spell out the, the multiverse thing for people that don't know it. I don't know enough about the characters, the people about him, to give them any weight at the moment. And the tone from him and the marketing and the way they presented the stuff on fandom was that they sort of took the mick a bit. They had a bit of fun with it. It was very energetic. It kind of, again, goes against the grain for a lot of the DC content. So if it means that they're able to go in and play about a little bit and have fun and bring a bit of light to that universe, then I'm kind of for that in a way where they've got Shazam and The Flash kind of playing off that kind of tone, then it might be it. But the fact that you then start including brooding Batman in it kind of (laughs) brings it back down again. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and the panel, I mean, there wasn't anything to show, but like Ezra Miller's Flash Facts, they were horrendous. Flash Fact, did you know that a hippopotamus is faster than a human? I guess I did. I don't really care. It seems a weird first step for this. I guess if they decide that we're just going to CGI him into old DC films that you've seen or whatever, then that could be fun. But I don't know if they will muck around with the universe in any way and then what will be the end result of it as well. So It's very odd. One of the things that I noticed about that panel is that we had the Black Adam reveals later on and they had all this concept art and they had done some voiceover stuff for it and they had done a lot of work to sort of show a bit of concept to what's coming. And for Flash, a film that's been in development for way longer, it's had cast attached to it, it's had all sorts attached to it over time. The only piece of concept that they really gave was a drawing of Barry's new suit. A shadowy drawing of his new suit. A shadowy drawing of the suit over a bit of zooped-up music, and it was like, da-da, here's the suit he's going to wear. And it's like, okay, I suppose that makes sense, but you're not really telling us much about what this film's going to be about, any sort of other concept art, apart from the fact that Barry Allen is going to wear a suit that makes him look like The Flash, which we kind of knew already. There was other concept art released on Facebook and things that showed the Keaton Batman and all that kind of stuff. They didn't show it during the panel, so it was a multimedia event, supposedly, and you're supposed to look in all these different places to get all these different things. But, yeah, the panel was okay, but... The multiverse conversation, I mean, this leads in naturally into it. I thought it was great where you had those four panellists, Greg Berlanti and Jim Lee and so on, talking about these things. I thought that was really good because they seem to have woken up to the thing that we've all been saying for decades. We can handle more than one live-action version of a character at a time. We understand that they might not necessarily be connected. 
before they were not all about that at all. You would get it in Smallville where it's like, well, we're making Batman begin, so you're not allowed Bruce Wayne or in Supergirl. You can't show Superman in the first season because we might want to do stuff with Superman, as we've established. The last thing DC want to do is do anything with Superman, it seems. But <laughs> it was those kind of restrictions. But now they seem to have woken up to the fact that, no, we still have a hit TV show that's about The Flash and you can handle the film because it's not the same guy. So finally, someone has listened and someone understands that and someone has faith in the audience as well. Share the characters around a bit. I mean, how many times did we lose different villains and such off of the likes of Arrow or whatever? Because it was like, oh, no, no, they're doing Suicide Squad now. So your Suicide Squad characters, you're not allowed any of them. now. It's that kind of thing that breaks it. It ties writers' hands behind their back. It takes good characters off the board for different things. So, yeah, I'm glad that they appreciated that. It was actually one of the more interesting panels where they were sort of talking openly about that. It's one that on paper I might have written off a little bit, but it was really interesting to hear them chatting about it. Yeah. Isaac, you amped for the multiverse thing? I didn't really care about The Flash, so I didn't watch the panel. I sort of know like a little bit about the multiverse thing. Obviously, the movies have been big since like 10, 12 years. I think it's sort of gone like, yeah, people can work out that there's different versions of characters and stuff. And I think especially it's the kind of opposite of what Marvel are doing, where they're not really integrating like other stuff in. There's like the movie versions, and I know they're going to they're moving towards having their TV stuff connected, but they never connected like Daredevil or Jessica Jones. They're really kind of just doing like the opposite of that. So that, that could be fun. And it also means you can have weird one-off takes. You can have like a weird Lex Luthor film or like a weird version of an alternate someone not superman please but an alternate someone and you know you go yeah that's fine this is it this is this version next time it won't be so i think that's it allows for more interesting goes i guess because you have like different takes and you can do different stories and you don't have to worry too much about setting up a sequel or anything you can just have a story and tell it in one so obviously like we'll find out more when they make more or when they make new stuff and that's more i mean more exciting then I think at the moment it's good to hear, but it's kind of difficult to get excited over like, oh yeah, the future will be a little bit more free with our options. Like, okay, cool. Depends how it works out as well. It depends whether we get a sequel to Zack Snyder's Justice League that doesn't connect to anything else, and then maybe Robert Pattinson's Batman joins a Justice League later on or something. You know, you can do these different things. And I guess maybe you have Ezra Miller cutting between all these continuities if you want him to. I don't know. We'll see, I suppose. But it, in principle, it's a good idea. At least we're allowed multiple versions of different things and we're trusted to understand that such things can exist. The Joaquin Phoenix Joker doesn't have to be a prequel <laughs> to Robert Pattinson's Batman and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they don't need to connect them. I mean, I'm sure at some point they will try and connect some of them together, but yeah, I think doing standalones works. Joker as a one-off. Yeah, do a one-off. And the fact that the pitch is a one-off, one-time thing, we're not going to do anything with it, and then suddenly it's like, we're going to sequelize this so many times, and it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, fine. Yeah, so we'll see how it all shakes out. I think the multiverse can be a really interesting thing. Different one-off stories are good, or can be good, and if they're not, then it's just a one-off, and you don't have to worry about it poisoning your universe, as DC have had problems with before. So, Chris, you mentioned Black Adam also known as DC's mm. The Rock. <laughs> it was pretty good. The idea that he was a slave, got given powers, and now he's a villain. He's going to be fighting the Justice Society, which is an idea I quite like. 
I hope it is a true villain story, though. I don't want it to be, ah, oh, no, I'm actually a good guy. I was just misunderstood. No, just do a villain story. Give me a villain story. Yeah, I'm totally for like, a villain origin story. You see it from their point of view, but you want them to be a villain. You don't want it to be, oh, let's make us totally sympathetic to this character. You don't want it to be that way around. You want to show that they are actually a villain, especially if you're then planning to sort of crash it in towards Shazam and stuff like that. You are wanting it all plain and simple because it'll be very difficult to go. We've got two heroes in this film, though one's actually a villain, but one's a hero. Okay, that's the bit that I think will be more difficult to sort of follow. But The Rock is just ridiculously enthusiastic behind this. I've already said how enthusiastic everyone else was. Yeah. So seeing him behind this, the work that they've done on the concept art and everything, yeah, really interested in it. I loved when they started the reveal. It was this like panning through this CGI temple, like ruins of a temple. Mm. And then you just see the silhouette of the rock, and you know who it is instantly because <laughs> he's very distinctive. It's almost like, oh, you're finally here. I've been waiting for a while. I'm so <laughs> glad you showed up. I'm just going to talk to you about this film. And then they do that awkward Skype call. And I think this was a hallmark of the whole thing, all these awkward Zoom or Skype calls, these edited ones where people are just not quite sure how to interact with one another because they're not in the same room. But they got the guy playing Atom Smasher and The Rock's like, he's always been one of my favourite comic book characters. And I'm just sitting there thinking, has anyone ever said that Atom Smasher is one of their favourite comic book characters? (laughs) I mean, yeah, The Rock's always going to like someone that can make themselves huge at will, I guess, because that's him. That's what he does. But (laughs) I don't know, it's weird. But... So if the heroes are the villains in this story, because I really want them to do this. Yeah, you're going to hate this guy because he's a villain. I really want to see that play out, actually. I think Rock, coming from a wrestling background where the characters turn heel and sort of pantomime in a way, like they're turning from the the good guy to the bad guy. I think you can do a decent, I'm just in this to be nasty, but also I can pretend to really be on this guy's side because that's what he was doing when he was a wrestler. And it was part of their job was embodying this whole persona like if you had to be the villain for a bit then you just would mean and all your pr stuff and everything to really sell the point so i think he will have fun because he's not really been a villain for a while in movies i can remember it's been a bit of a hero for a bit and i think he's gonna have fun just being awful again just for this one thing i get to be really evil but also in all the pr stuff and twitter and stuff i can just live this for a bit you know as part of the promotion so I think he'll have a lot of fun with that. I think it's quite good to take someone who has that sort of pantomime ability. I wonder if him and Adam Smasher will count how many punches they land on each other. He sees, oh, maybe he'll fight Superman at a point. Yeah. It'd be great if he has to agree, oh, yeah, but I get the same amount of punches as Superman. And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and in the film, Superman just like, lasers his head off or something. We've both got zero punches. <laughs> <laughs> I tweeted that I want to see The Rock fight Henry Cavill in character, but... If I can't get that, I want to see them fight out of character. <laughs> Just the two of them fighting. <laughs> Just the two of them fighting, yeah. We'll see, though. Black Adam, I'm quite excited about it. I want a proper villain story, though. I don't want any half measures. No, I agree with you. It sounds like they're doing it properly, but we'll see. Yeah. We've got a title for Shazam, or Shazam Wrath of the Gods, as it's called. There's pretty much nothing else to show other than that. Uh, Sinbad's going to be in it, which certainly surprised me. The villain from Jingle All the Way, Sinbad. (laughs) 
Or is it Fury of the Gods? Wrath of the Gods, I think, is what, well, it's what we've got written on our notes. <laughs> so let's go with that. Yeah. Let's go with that, definitely. But yeah, it's Zimbad in there. I don't know, have they reached the point where the phone book of people that have not been in comic book movies is getting, <laughs> getting slightly thinner? Now, yeah. We're kind of running out of people here, everyone. Uh, who have we got? We've reached Zimbad. Okay, put the call in. It is Fury of the Gods. I am now firing our researcher. They're useless. Who researched that? Whoever it is is fired. <laughs> but yeah, Shazam 2. I like the first one. I'll watch the second one for sure, even if Sinbad's in it. I really hope <laughs> he's just playing the character from Jingle All the Way. Turned into a villain. It's like, I didn't get the Turbo Man doll. Then I was arrested and now I want revenge. Yeah, unfortunately, I never watched Shazam. <laughs> I was like, I know they're making a second one, but it's out of my radar, really, so I've not got too much to say about it. You should watch. It was a nice surprise. The trailer made it look really crappy, but it's actually very good. I'm in sort of Mark Ruffalo list on Netflix at the moment, so I'll work <laughs> for those. I just finished Begin Again, which is really good. Yeah, Begin Again's great. It's really fun. I really love that one. Got a few more. I think Now You See Me 2 is up next. Yeah. Have you seen Now You See Me 1? Now You See Me 1 is really good. I like Now You See Me 1. It's great. I love Jesse Eisenberg. Just Like Heaven, have you seen that? He's in that. It's on the list, but I've not got to it yet. Yeah, it's average. But I'm picking the, sort of the good-looking ones first. I'll work through the rest. <laughs> Maybe I'll try and get to Shazam, but I think everything about it just felt a bit like, oh, enough, I don't want to watch this. Yeah, I was like that until I saw it, and then I was pleasantly surprised. That's good to hear. Maybe before the second one comes out, I'll have to watch the first one like I usually do with the sequels. <laughs> I was similar. I didn't see it when it was out at the cinema. I saw it once it, it came out on demand and stuff. So, yeah, I was the, the marketing and stuff ahead of it. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be for me. I'm not going to enjoy it as much. And at the time, there was other stuff that I wanted to see, so didn't get around to getting it. So I watched it once it came out on demand. Yeah. Wonder Woman 1984. We got another trailer for it that showed Cheetah. She looks all right. She looks very Cheetah-like. People were worried that she was just going to be some woman called Cheetah. And then... They would fight. It's more of the same that we've already seen in terms of like the jokes and stuff, but I think it looks good. Pedro Pascal's, what's his name? Oh, Maxwell Lord. Maxwell Lord looks good, yeah. It's been weird with Norman too, because I'm not really feeling too much hype for it. Like, I'll go watch it. I'll, I'll love the first one. And I'm, but I think, I don't know, maybe because... We're supposed to have seen it by now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even when the first trailers came out, I mean, the before time, when <laughs> trailers came out... I think even then I was like, yeah, sure, I'll watch this. But I think with this one, it looks fun. And you've got Maxwell Lord and Cheetah and Ashton the Invisible Jet, maybe, or just a normal jet. And a shopping mall. And it's all colourful and exciting. But I'm sort of like, yeah, I'll get around to it. But I'm not buzzing. How many Batman actors have they forced into it, though? Was it 1984? So, I don't know. They could lasso past his parents getting shot in the background somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is this how films are going to be rated now on, you know, not to five Batman? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, and It's not like a rating scale. It's just how many were in it. How many Batman you managed to fit in your Yeah. Maybe Michael Keaton, but before he's Batman, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks pretty good. I think the cast all seem full of beans, except from Chris Pine, who looked like he wanted to be anywhere else than on this call. Do you think he'll survive the movie or do you think he'll die in the movie? Or I think he'll die in every film and then in the next film he'll be inexplicably brought back somehow. My money's on maybe to beat the cheetah she has to undo all the magic and 
he'll obviously disappear because the, he was brung there by magic or something like that. There's a hint in there that it's all through wish fulfillment, isn't it? It's granting wishes in some way, and she's obviously wishing that he was back and there he appears. And then once everything's undone at the end, he's going to vanish as part of that, isn't it? Yeah. And Kirsten Wiggs like, I want to be a furry. And it's like, yeah, sure, great. <laughs> I want to be the original furry. I'm the furry. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. And Wonder Woman or Diana is like, I want an eagle metal costume thing. And then she gets it. <laughs> There's not a lot of context, which is fine, I suppose. I don't really want to know the plot before I've seen it. But it's hilarious that we should have seen it like two months ago or a month ago. Yeah, it's supposed to be out in... Was it July? I think it was July. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's supposed to just be out. And when's it? Is it pushed a year or is it one of these ones like to net where it's like it might come out in October? It might be November. Oh, it might be November. Yeah, I think that's where it landed most recently, but... Who knows, it'll probably get delayed, maybe. We don't know. So that's Wonder Woman. Not much to say about it. Here's the highlight of fandom for me, though. The Suicide Squad, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. We didn't see any footage, but we saw some behind-the-scenes stuff of them running around blowing stuff up, and they've promised it's going to be a 70s war thriller, which kind of excites me. I like the idea of that and the characters they've got, and they all feel expendable, except from Harley Quinn. She's the only one who's not (laughs) expendable. But everyone else... Seems like they could be. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely having fun with the cast. It's not picking well knowns again. Got like Harley Quinn and Boomerang as like the ones from the sort of established, and then just like the weird ones. And Rick and Flag. Just, oh, Rick Flag. <laughs> and Amanda Waller, of course. Yeah, but they don't really matter because <laughs> they're sort of separate. I know like the the, gal, the, the handlers. But yeah, they're yeah. having fun with the most nonsense. These will never be in movies characters that they can find. Peter Capaldi's The Thinker. Can't be any worse than the version that was on the Flash TV show. Definitely not worse than that. I was, I was so happy when I saw him. Nathan Fillion getting cast as well. I hadn't read about that, or at least I'd forgotten. Yeah. If I'd known about it before that, then I'd forgotten about it already. And no, Isaac, it's not Brendan Fraser. One of them. Was he George of the Jungle, or was he the guy from The Mummy? <laughs> Those are the same guy. Oh, this the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is the same one. Both. With, so the answer is it, both. He's both. Oh. <laughs> Nathan Fillion is neither, and uh, <laughs> guys both. But yeah, it just looks a lot of fun. The game sort of descended into chaos that they played on screen, but it just seemed like a cast that was having a lot of fun. The, from the behind-the-scenes stuff, it looks like it should just be called Explosion, the movie, because <laughs> it was basically tons of pyrotechnics going off in every scene that they were showing. But if it's a war movie, that kind of makes sense. James Gunn's like, this is the biggest film I've ever made. That's the best cast I've ever worked with. And then Chris Pratt sitting in his house going, yeah, you son of a bitch. Uh, they let me hire all my friends for this. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, there, was, there was a lot of, I don't know if it was very you know, tongue-in-cheek the way it was being done, but yeah, this is the biggest ever, the most effects I've done ever, the most explosions that I've done on a film ever. And it was like, okay, okay, we get you. We get you. Calm down. It's fine. You're being allowed to do things. That's cool. Yeah, some of the characters I've got in there are just seem great. And Nathan Fillion doesn't exist. His well, no, Nathan Fillion exists, but his character doesn't <laughs> exist, or at least no one's called TDK in the comics. A lot of people have suggested that he might be playing Arm Fall Off Boy, and his power is exactly what you think it is. His arm falls off. He has the ability to make his arm fall off. Yeah, because on the poster, he's got his arms like in that X, and like you can see the the bone and muscle at the bottom of yeah. Each one. Yeah, but some have suggested that the TDK stands for the Dark Knight, but everyone just calls him Arm Fall Off Boy, because that's what he does. And I would just love that. I really hope that it's like that, you know, there are these criminals making fun of each other. Yeah, yeah. he's giving himself like a super cool name, and they're all ridiculing it. Yeah. And 
it sounds or it seems like that's what the other Suicide Squad film should have been, as in they're going into like a hotspot and they're expendable assets that are sent into hotspots, not this. We need to kill the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> Speak up. Well, pop in that for a minute. My thing for the last film was this seems like a threat that you wouldn't send the Suicide Squad against. <laughs> this seems like you would call someone more important. Yeah, well, and also conceptually, the last Suicide Squad film, it was all about, we need a team of people that can fight these superheroes. So what we'll do is we'll get all the people that those superheroes have captured. So why aren't you just asking Batman to help rather than people that he caught? It doesn't make any sense. We've established that you speak to him. So why aren't you just... Recruiting him. You've established the fact that he exists, so why wouldn't he help out in this situation? If you haven't told him about it, and suddenly it's all appearing on the news, it seems like they would start to help at some point. (laughs) I think there is going to be some tie to a version of the Justice League, and maybe it will be the same version because Margot Robbie's in it, although what is her continuity anymore? She just shows up in all the universes. Harley (laughs) Quinn just looks like Margot Robbie in every universe. It's fine. But the Idris Elba character, Bloodsport, in the bio that they revealed with his character reveal, he's in prison for shooting Superman. So maybe there'll be a scene where he just shoots a guy in a Superman costume with his back to us. Yeah, I reckon they'll play like the John Williams score, and it'll be just Idris Elba just running down the street, just firing a gun in the air or something, yeah. after a shadow or something like that. Yeah, but it looks fun. James Gunn is clearly full of beans about it. The cast seem pretty animated about it as well. It's got a great cast. It's the one I'm most hyped for out of everything we saw. Yeah, it's, it's another one where obviously there's a lot of fun, weird characters and it looks like yeah, there's just tons of explosions and weird stuff going on. Yeah. But there's only so much you can say because I don't know how much of it the film yet. They've got the explosions done. <laughs> <laughs> They've got enough to put a trailer together, so... Yeah. Good that they got a lot of hype for him, but because he doesn't really have to rev people up because he hasn't got the footage to do that. He hasn't got like a Star Wars celebration or whatever, like, oh, here's a trailer and now you can talk about this. They have to do all that energy themselves, so... Yeah. Yeah, it does feel a bit difficult, but yeah, it does look a lot of fun. The, I really like the poster as well. It's really great. I like the explosion background, the sort of, like, the, the pulpy 70s look. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hyped. Hyped for the Suicide Squad. Who'd have thought? Like, with everything, we'll see how it all shapes out. But a couple of video game reveals. Two Batman-adjacent type things, kind of. One of them is a continuation of the Arkham series. One of them isn't. The one that you expect to be a continuation of the Arkham series isn't the continuation of the Arkham series. The one where the trailer begins with the end of Arkham Knight is not the one that follows Arkham Knight. (laughs) (laughs) That one's Gotham Knights, where he plays Batgirl, Red Hood, Nightwing, and a version of Robin. So it's four different characters, although it seems like they're similar enough, so it wouldn't be like this horrible Avengers game that I played the beta of, where just none of it is well built so it seems like the combat mechanics will be this very similar they'll all be the arkham combat but they'll all have like a quirk so batgirl will be your batman analog where you can glide about can ride a motorcycle and all that kind of stuff red hood will be guns because he has guns robin will be combat and nightwing we combat that kind of stuff so i guess Maybe Robin will be more gadget-based combat. I don't know, but... Yeah, they said something about thing like yeah, the Robin's the detective one, so he's the one you sort of bring in. So I know it's not an Arkham game, but you know the bits where it's like, oh, you have to go around and you have to spot the evidence things. Yeah. But they sort of said, like, he's going to fill in that role. Also, I think it's Tim Drake, so I think it's a relatively new Robin, and obviously he can fight because he has a Robin, but compared to the other ones who are, like, more like the, the hardened veterans, I think he's the one who, who does the more detective thinking stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the Nightwing is... 
I don't know what Nightwing's going to do. He's, he's just very Sweet. cool, isn't he? Sell the jokes. <laughs> he's just going to stand in the corner and look cool. It looks a lot of fun, this. It was a really good trailer, plus the little bit of gameplay that they did as well. Yeah, they showed us gameplay, which is important for a game. Actual gameplay footage is like, okay, I get this, from the engine. And the actual gameplay footage isn't a cutscene from the game. It is actual playing the game. Yeah. So, yeah. Scripted, like but they're playing it. Yeah. yeah. Scripted, but they've got it. For me, this one looks like, of the two video games, this is the one that, A, is good because we, it's not next-gen, so I can buy it. And also, this is the one I want to buy anyway. So, perfect. There's a few things about it that could raise some red flags. The multiple characters thing. A lot of people have suggested that a brainwashed Batman might end up being the villain. I'm pretty sure there's a 0% chance that Bruce Wayne's actually dead. Yeah, because it's the Court of Owls, isn't it? The, yeah. the, the reveal and the, the whole thing is there's the coffins and the talons and the coffins and stuff. So they sort of set up a neat way of doing it. Yeah. Whether or not they actually do it or if they just don't have a Batman. Imagine a, a DC property with no Batman in it. I know. But only like Weird. four other Bat people. <laughs> And then there's a experience-based system to it as well, so you can level up your characters and stuff, but apparently the villains keep pace. So I think it's like Mr. Freeze owns a part of the city, whoever else owns a part of the city, and you can choose when to fight them, and they'll sort of match your development. So it's not that you can just be super powerful and just go in with all your stuff and dominate. Yeah, so that's good. It means that you'll never get to a point in the game, you know, the boring point yeah. in the game where you're too good. So, yeah, that's a good way of always keeping the sort of challenge there without making it overly challenging, like not like a Dark Souls where you're never good, but <laughs> not like Assassin's Creed or anything else where, like, oh, you've got all the gadgets and you can just, like, one-hit kill everybody. I did like the fact that at the beginning they've got Bruce Wayne there going, so I've blown up the Batcave and all the stuff, and then later on it's like Alfred's there. Oh, so you must have got Alfred a good warning before you blew up the Batcave then. <laughs> I gave him a 10-second head start. Yeah, the countdown started, Alfred. <laughs> Run. <laughs> Run, old man. <laughs> The other game, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, it's called. This was just a cutscene, so I couldn't get excited about it because surely anybody can just animate a well-rendered cutscene. Captain Boomerang's accent is unbearable. (laughs) Yeah. And people have suggested it might be a bit Fortnite-y, as in when you see in the, well, the cutscene, you see people jumping about as if it's Fortnite-y and then Captain Boomerang can somehow move really fast with his boomerangs and all this kind of stuff. So it's a four-player co-op thing, or you can play it one player with three AI partners, which suggests to me that I'm just going to hate it or that it'll be underdeveloped in terms of just the skill sets or whatever. Yeah, this is the, I think this is the one I've sort of had like the least focus on. Brainiac looks cool. Kind of like a big Brainiac ship. It's always fun. At least I assume that's what it is. But it's just in a cutscene. It might not be anything yeah but we don't know if that's you know, the main antagonist of the story or anything it's just part of the the skit when they tell us more like you said when we see gameplay and we know actually what we're playing is yeah. before that it could be anything it could be a mobile game <laughs> we don't know <laughs> well no it said it's coming out on like ps5 and stuff in 2022 yeah. so it's firmly in the next gen so we'll see i did find it quite amusing when superman showed up and he was evil which is that thing that you hate you know he's evil but he's mind controlled that's the thing, I was like, oh god, Superman who's been evil and he's mind controlled. Maybe he's just pretending he's mind controlled, he just likes to kill people every now and again. It's like, it wasn't me, I was controlled by Brainiac. <laughs> <laughs> honest, everyone, honest, it wasn't me, didn't do it. But I like that bit where everyone was like, oh hi Superman, Superman's helping us with this alien invasion, and then he keep visions this guy, and then the very last shot in the trailer is a boomerang just sort of whacking him in the side of the head and just being a minor inconvenience to him. Yeah, because I saw there's a lot of things where they did that first poster, oh, it could be Bizarro or something. And I'm like, no, no, it's just Superman again. Yeah, so basically you'll get up to a point where you just fight 
watered down versions of the Justice League in some arena that helps you defeat them. Yeah, we got to take a moment to rest or whatever. Yeah. When Superman rests, hit him with your kryptonite boomerangs. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. I'm telling you. And I wonder if you'll get a Justice League member joining you, perhaps the non-Superman type Justice League characters. But this is the one that's a continuation of the Arkhamverse, which is weird. It is weird. I know it's like the same developers, but it makes more sense for the other one to be Arkham as opposed to this one. Yeah, well, in the Arkham games, they kind of obliquely reference, well, they reference Lex Luthor in Arkham Knight. Yeah, it's like LexCorp and stuff. But... Yeah, but they never mention that, oh, yeah, we have routine alien invasions from Brainiac in Metropolis. <laughs> oh, it's another one of those <laughs> alien invasions. Yeah. It's also not the same Harley Quinn. Oh, yeah, because she's in the Arkham games. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of different in every one. Yeah. But she's the same character, though. She just dresses differently. Yeah, so they kind of get away with that a little bit. Yeah. Is there any other villains in that Suicide Squad lineup that were in the Arkham games? I can't remember. Deadshot, is he in one of them? He was in Origins. But Origins doesn't count because that's Montreal. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't think there is. But that's that. So, yeah, I'm not that excited about that one. Gotham Knights, I'm quite interested in. A Batman property without Batman. A Batman family type situation. That's a good idea. And that's fandom. We had other things. They talked about comics. They talked about how there's going to be a black Batman. But they're not making Bruce Wayne black. They're just having some black guy in a Batman costume. It's one of the Black Label series, like a three or four issue series. There'll still be the Batman comics and Detective comics and also this comic sort of thing. Black label with the black Batman. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose you shouldn't have labelled that one that much. <laughs> the post is lovely. Hmm. But again, it's comics. I'd love to sort of see what it's actually about. And obviously, it's only three or four issues. It could be a Bruce Wayne. It could be a different Batman. We don't know yet. We'll have to sort of see about that. So comics are always fun, but again, it's too early to know what it is yet. So we'll see on that one. Yeah. Jim Lee as well, just as a presence throughout the whole thing. I thought he was pretty cool, just cutting about, just talking about different things. He's very enthusiastic because he's come from that background, although he did just fire a bunch of people, which they chose not yeah, to well on. He did fire a lot of people. <laughs> so that was awkward. But it wasn't awkward because they just never mentioned it. But it was awkward because they weren't mentioning it. We're doing all this really cool stuff, but not with some of our employees. <laughs> who are no longer yeah. With us. yeah. And I thought in general, some of the editing was a bit awkward. You could tell it was all pre-recorded, mostly because all the questions that were being asked were being answered too quickly. So you'd have, Chris Pine, what do you think of this thing? And you'd be like, well, I really think this. And immediately, he wasn't really thinking about it. I mean, they, they never covered up the fact that it was pre-recorded. But I think there's a learning curve that we're still going through about how to run a virtual event. I always wonder with, this is across Marvel and DC and all the other superhero stuff, when you get the job, say like, Benedict Cumberbatch got Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, here's your junket. Here's the questions they'll ask and here's answers you can just learn. So it's like, what's your favourite comic? He'll probably set the oath. Why do you like this? And then they'll do it with like Iron Man and be like, okay, so Robert Downey Jr., here's your list of the obvious questions they'll ask and the sort of buzzwords to say that you can you can use. And then Robert Downey Jr. tears up the list and does whatever he wants. I know it's definitely with like, the MCU, there'll always be like that picture of, oh, it's Tom Holland reading like a Spider-Man comic in his trailer and whatever. And So I was kind of wondering like, <laughs> There must be, you know, one of the researchers will be like, oh yeah, here's the standard fan questions you'll get or questions you might get at Q&A and Hall H or whatever. Here's cheat sheets of what to say if you get stuck, if you don't know, because there'll be people who think you know everything about Captain America or you know everything about Black Widow or whatever. 
So a lot of them sort of say stuff like, obviously, they, they know what film they're in and they know the script. You know, they're not idiots and they know some stuff. But I always kind of wonder when it comes to like those Q&A stuff, how much of it is just pre-prepared stuff they've got anyway? I imagine they rehearse certain things. They've spoken before about when people have been getting cast, that they've been sent a bundle of back issues and things like the essentials to get to know Spider-Man or Doctor Strange. Don't get me wrong, I'm guessing some of them genuinely are fans of particular series. But yeah, they will be primed with certain questions and answers for regular things. You can imagine the fan backlash if Tom Holland was up there at Comic-Con and got asked, so what? spider-man villain would you like to face next and he went ah you know i don't really know any of the comics or anything like that what villain would you like then the fans would just go mental (laughs) so yeah they cast someone and he's like nope just a job to me i'm gonna do this for six years and then i'm out nope just a job to me i read the script (laughs) that's it don't need to read anything else read the script not watched any of the other films don't really care this is mine now (laughs) it must go with everything else even star trek and stuff it's like you're the new captain in discovery there's some easy questions to say. Oh, yeah, maybe you want to fight the Borg, and maybe you want to watch, I don't know, the one where they go to the Nazi planet or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about Star Trek. Everyone who's cast in Star Trek always says, yes, it all goes back to my childhood when I would sit and watch on a Saturday night the original series with my parents. We would always watch it, and I was really drawn to Captain Kirk and all these stories. It's that Hang line on, you're you 20. Yeah, it's as if people <laughs> won't trust you. Yeah, you're 20. It's always been rerun. You can watch it as a child. Yeah, I'm in my thirties, and I watched the original series when I was a child. So, but I haven't been cast in Star Trek, at least not yet. Not yet. So the call is pending. Once your agent picks up the phone, that's it. But yeah, I think they genuinely are into the fandom, and they are primed for it. And they've got to be keen to go into these things in the first place because they know what kind of reaction they're going to get. They know how dedicated some of the fans are to these characters, and you're portraying them on screen. So. Definitely. I think with the live event format, it's very difficult because it was essentially a live play of a pre-recorded event. Yeah. And I think to get that feeling of an actual live thing, you do need people to be able to ask interesting questions and allow mistakes, allow slip-ups, do almost live panels, do that kind of thing. Because doing it in the pre-recorded format takes that live element out, even if it is from home. Surprise them with questions, surprise them with things. The fake surprise appearances by guests and stuff were cringeworthy. These are some fantastic actors. However, they're acting when going, oh my God, I can't believe you're on this call. You're going, I do believe that you know they're there. Some of it seemed very scripted. Some of it seemed very prepared. The most sort of ad hoc and fun stuff, you know, the Suicide Squad's quiz game thing just went completely off the rails. And you can imagine that there's an edit sitting there somewhere of about two hours worth of them trying to get that thing to work. And it got trimmed down for what we saw on the panel. It would be nice to see. Well, the Wonder Woman cast game was chronic. That was awful. Well, yeah, some of it worked, some of it did. I think the Suicide Squad one worked pretty well because it worked with that sort of format. But that style of show, and not a style of show, sorry, style of film and the way that they're doing it. And the cast that they had being all sort of buddy like that worked really well. But yeah, for those sort of events, if you're billing it as live and must see real time and must interact real time, you kind of need an interactive element. Even if it had been the people in between the segments, the pre-recorded segments being live and interacting with audience members, I think that would have added an element to it. Because these green screen talking heads in between, introducing us from all the different places... As much as it was great to do the worldwide atmosphere, get someone hosting 
that live section. Get someone there that is able to take a question from the audience and answer it or get a panel of people to discuss in between the different panels, even if it takes five minutes in between each panel or something. Yeah. So that there is a bit of interaction there, even if it's not with the panelists, because you want that to be all perfect. You want everything that's not supposed to slip out, not to slip out. You want all those answers. perfect. That's fine. Do that. But then in your in-between sections, interact with the fans. They had a scrolling screen of messages that were coming in saying how great they were, that were all filtered and fantastic. Put those questions and things up on the screen. Answer those questions with a little panel in between. And that, I think, would have worked better. I get that the technology is difficult. I get that recording that kind of thing is difficult at the moment. But I think that would have added the element that made it feel more live. The fact that even the in-between sections weren't, I think, made it more jarring. Yeah, I agree. And some of the panels were better than others. I really liked the women of colour LGBT. I forget what the actual panel was called, but you had Candace Patton, who plays Iris on The Flash. You had Nefessa Williams, who plays Nerissa on Black Lightning. You had the new Batwoman. She showed up a few times talking to people. Her first kind of, well, the first appearance of her I've seen outside of the announcement and things. So that was really good to see her and get a feel of how she answers scripted questions, I guess. I don't know. But that panel was really good because it talked about these issues that are prevalent and it showed that as an organisation, DC have a commitment to representing that and how they all feel an important part of what that progression is. And, And them sharing their stories about when fans have contacted them to say, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being out there. Thank you for giving me something to look at on television and see myself in and things like that. So that's really positive stuff. And I think they should do more of that. And I think this should be an annual event, I think. DC should show up every year with stuff and just promote the hell out of themselves for a few hours. It might be a live thing next year, which will be great. They can get people in a room. So Disney do this D23 thing where they are forsaking Comic-Con and just turning up at this thing to talk about all their upcoming stuff. So DC could be doing the same thing. Yeah, because you have like Star Wars Celebration as well. And and I think the same with this year. Instead of E3, there was like the PlayStation one and the the Xbox one and stuff where they're just doing solo thingies. I'm not sure if in terms of viewership, how that worked. I don't know if either of you have looked into has the viewership or the online presence of do you think been as big as it would have been if there had been an E3 or Comic-Con? Or? The DC thing was well-watched. Comic-Con at home wasn't because they had everything so tightly constructed that it just, you know, there was no room for it to breathe and people weren't that interested. But I think the fandom thing was a huge success for them. Yeah, especially because it had, like, you had the Batman and it had video games and Suicide Squad, so it had some good stuff to show. I think that sort of helped as well. Whereas Comic-Con, I think it had some stuff... I don't know how many, if any trailers came out of Comic Con this year. Or... Not really, no. There's not much for people to show off at the moment, and then DC were obviously saving up for their own big event. Yeah. And I think it's kind of shown that for some of these events, you could do some sort of combination of streaming panels plus the live element if you're able to go. And a lot of these cons and things where the big announcements are made are in the States and whatever, and a lot of fans cannot fly over to the States and get tickets. First of all, get tickets to these things. almost impossible also flying over to the states and stuff like that very expensive and very difficult so it's very limiting when oh we've announced exclusive stuff at this panel which you cannot see until someone uploads a really rubbish mobile phone copy from the back of the hall 
for you to watch yeah. kind of thing. I think doing some sort of combo online element might be a way going forward. I do think more companies have realized that, oh, we don't need to go to this massive trade show to announce our thing. We can stream it ourselves from an auditorium or yeah. from a little studio and do something that still generates the articles on websites and still gets people looking. I think some of it is slightly different this year because a lot more people are still at home, are not going out, are not filming, so can sit around and watch a three-hour, four-hour live stream of content where normally it'd be like, well, it's Saturday night, I'm going out. I mean, obviously it wouldn't be on a Saturday necessarily in other years. If things were normal, it'd be on a Tuesday or something like that. But the thing you're talking about, E3 has been like that for a long time, where you're able to just sit and follow Mm. the entire event online. And all the keynote stuff that they do, so the reveal of the PlayStation 4 as it was, the reveal of the Xbox One, that kind of thing, you just watch it. You can be the journalist in the room watching it, or you can watch it at home, and you get arguably a better experience at home because you don't have the tallest person on earth sitting in front of you or whatever. So I think San Diego Comic-Con could shift to an online as well as in-person thing, so all the panels are being screened live as you're watching them, or as people are in the hall watching them. I'm not saying they need to provide it for free or anything, but even a subscription that would get you the ability to stream those panels or things would work. Yeah. Yeah, you pay a tenner or something, you get access to the full weekend, whatever it is. Yeah. But it was a big success for them. I'm glad it was. And it gave me a lot of things to be excited about over the next, I don't know, five years, I guess, <laughs> as it end up turning out. Yeah, they sort of made their, not mission statement, but they sort of like, oh, here's how we're going to go from now on. So, yeah, some good stuff. Obviously, more info will come further down the line and in 2021 when there'll be more stuff will have been developed and that. So, yeah, it's all exciting to see where everything's going to go from. And obviously, it's still quite hot on the press online and stuff. So, people are obviously very excited about all of it. So, that's good to see that everything's still on the way. Everything's still coming. We don't have to worry too much. Things are going to start filming again and... It's all kicking off. Yes, that's always good to see. Yeah, something to look forward to. So, any last things on Fandom before we wrap up? Chris, any last things? No, no, that's it. Cool. Isaac, any last things? No, yeah, it's all right. It's all right, yeah. Thumbs up. Nothing else for me. We covered the whole event, so, yeah. Isaac, thanks for joining in this discussion about Fandom. I like saying that word. Glad to be here. Like fandom. fandom, it's good. It's it's a clever little pun. Yeah, I think. it's fandom, but with an e, and it's an actual dome, but it's not a dome; it's a virtual dome. Jim Lee drew it, and then they animated it, and there was this whole feature on it. It was quite funny. Chris, thank you for being here in the dome, but not in the dome. Thank you for having me in and outside of the dome at the same time. It's what I do, apparently. Schrodinger's Chris. Schrodinger's dome. I am neither inside or outside of the dome until observed otherwise. Maybe there is no dome. Who knows? Maybe there is no Chris. Maybe there is no Chris. <laughs> Who have we been talking to? Just <laughs> some randos got on the bandwidth. I was never Maybe here. I finally just cut his entire track and then Isaac says that <laughs> at the end. It sounds crazy. That sounds like a subscriber option. If you want rid of Chris, you can pay an extra <laughs> £5 a month. Yeah. We can give you less content, but it's better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so that was our fandom discussion. I'd like to thank YouTuber Neil Stenson for the music that we used in the intro and in the outro. If you want to discuss DC fandom, DC in general, all these films, all this stuff, you can get us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog. 
And you could leave comments underneath this very podcast on newbeforeblog.co.uk. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere else you might get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes and could leave us a star rating and a comment, we would absolutely love it. But otherwise, you can catch us on the next Nail Before Pod. Mm-hmm.